Well, this week we uh, continue in the New Testament. I'm so thankful for being able as a church body this year to be brought together by our study through the New Testament. This past week you've read in uh, 2 Corinthians, if you're in the plan with us, you've read in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 through 6. I'm going to cheat a little bit this morning. I want to go back a week. I'd like to pick up 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I didn't want to miss this great encouraging word in chapter 1, this reminder that God is a God of comfort. While you're turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, let me mention a couple of things. One is several of you have asked me about the uh, points on defending the resurrection last week. If you'd like to have those, if you'll simply send me an email, I'll be glad to send you those notes from last week. And then also, uh, let me mention that in two weeks, we're going to be going to four services, two services each hour here on campus. We'll tell you more about that at the end of the, uh, the online service this morning, but once you're aware that that is coming. Well, as we move into, uh, <clears throat> into 2 Corinthians, a lot has happened between Paul and this Corinthian church. If you remember from reading through 1 Corinthians 1, um, he's had to give some pretty strong rebukes. He's had to give some doctrinal correction. Not everyone has responded well. In fact, you remember from two weeks ago that some in the church thought that Paul was just in the ministry to gain financially. They, they questioned his motives. So not everyone responded well to Paul. And this morning, the passage we're in, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, is written in part because there were some people in the Corinthian church that said, well, the reason Paul suffers so much, his, his suffering was well known throughout the church, the reason Paul suffers so much is that God is punishing him for his sinful behavior. Well, you know, when Paul talks about persecution, it's not just physical, although he suffered a, a lot of that, more than his fair share of beatings and and imprisonment, but Paul is also talking about emotional suffering. Uh, he's been deeply hurt by the Corinthians and others when they were resistant to the gospel and disobedient to the truth. He, he's been wounded and he's been deeply grieved by their sin and their defection. Uh, they started off well following the truth, but now they've defected and they're falling into false doctrine. So that's kind of what's behind what he has to share here in this first chapter of 2 Corinthians. Follow along with me, if you would, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was made to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. 
Well, let's go through and kind of break it down verse by verse and then compile what we've learned in application for us. First of all, in verse 3, Paul begins by blessing God, and that's certainly a very good place to start. And you notice that he blesses God, first of all, he says, because he is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is, is declaring the blessing of greatest importance, the foremost blessing that God has ever given, and that's Jesus. And it's a blessing because it's in Jesus that we become the children of God and that we share an inheritance leading to eternal life. Now, I've got to stop here and point out the title given Jesus. And you see this frequently throughout the New Testament, but you notice here, Paul says that God is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can't emphasize enough that Jesus must be Lord. You remember in Philippians 2 when Paul reminded us that God has exalted Jesus because of what he has done, humbling himself, becoming obedient as a servant, even to the point of death on the cross. God exalted him. God gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, we need to be reminded as followers that Jesus is Lord. And we need to be reminded because that term has become dramatically weakened in our current Christian culture. When you come to Christ, you must confess that Jesus is Lord. In Romans 10, 9, Paul said, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And so if you say you belong to Christ, you're a follower of Christ, then you belong to, completely to him, and you have no other Lord, no other allegiance, no one else to whom you're obedient. And so Paul reminds us that God is the Father of Jesus, our Lord, but also look what he says, he's the Father of mercies and the God of comfort. That's the main theme of this section, that he is the God of comfort. He's a God who never leaves or forsakes us. He's a God who comes and takes up his residence in us. He's a God who has unlimited resources and will supply all of our needs. He's the God of comfort. And let me tell you, that is unusual to the Christian faith. Ask a Muslim or a Hindu or a, or a Buddhist if their God is a God of comfort. There is no other God that is like our God that is a God of comfort. Now, I need to clarify the word comfort. It's not just referring to ease or contentment or taking away pain. It, it, it's much more than that. The proper definition of the word comfort, if you look at the root, root word in the Greek, it means to be, to be brave or strong or courageous. So when Paul says that God comforts us, it means that he strengthens us and he encourages us and he sustains us. He, he holds us up so that we can face life with unbending resolve and, and assurance. And it's important that you keep that definition of comfort in mind as we work through this passage. Verse 4, Paul in, in verse 3 has given us the reason that we bless God for his comfort. Verse 4, what's the purpose of comfort? Look what he says. It's so that we're able to comfort others. Now, the word for affliction here in verse 4 can refer to external affliction. Paul certainly had his share of external affliction, violence by mobs and beating and stoning and uh, physical ailments, uh, imprisonment, all the different things that Paul went through, but also there can be some internal afflictions. We know that Paul experienced, as, as many believers do, false accusations and criticism, abandonment, um, by, by friends, even by other believers. Well, afflictions are going to be faced by Christ's followers. And let me make sure you understand that faithful commitment 
does not remove affliction. In fact, for those who are most faithfully committed, typically affliction is going to increase. Why is that? For those who take seriously the command to preach the gospel, and remember the word preach does not just refer to pastors who preach messages. The word preach is to get the word out, to share. It's, it's commanded for every believer to preach the gospel. And for those who are seriously committed to the command to preach the gospel in a world that is twisted by sin and a world that is hostile toward God, you can be sure that there's going to be difficulty. We know from Christ suffering and death on the cross that reconciliation is a very costly business, and it would be costly for us just as it was for him. But what does Paul say here? God comforts us, and we experience even more comfort as we care for others while we're in the midst of our own suffering. You know, when, when you're in a, in a time of pain and you turn outward to help others, it really helps you redirect and even conquer your pain. And you see that in Paul. Paul was a great encourager and a great comforter because he knew what it was like to be discouraged, what it was like to be pressed into discomfort. And so he knew how to speak to people who were in that same place. Paul could tell you what it was like to be at the end of your rope, but he could also remind you of who holds the rope and the fact that, that he will comfort. Well, in verse 5 and 6, we might ask the question, well, how is Paul... And how are we able to comfort others in the midst of our own affliction? You see these two words in, in verse 5. He says we share abundantly. In the Greek, that's one word. And in the Greek, that word means to abound, or more literally, to flow and overflow. That word in, in Greek culture was typically used in a commercial context, and it referred to either a, 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 a profit or a surplus. In other words, Paul is saying, hey, look at this as a balance sheet with two columns. Column one would be the sufferings that we go through for Christ. Column two would be the comforts we have in Christ. And he's simply saying, when you look at your balance sheet, the surplus of comfort more than compensates and balances out the suffering. The, the pain is also greatly diminished, not by only looking at the balance sheet of comfort and suffering, but it's also greatly diminished, there's comfort that comes when we remember what's to come. Paul in Romans chapter 8 verse 18 said it this way, I consider that the present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 17, which you read this week, for our light and momentary troubles. Now they may not seem light right now, they may not seem momentary, may not seem like they're ever going to end, but with the with the perspective of eternity, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Once again, on the balance sheet, the, the comfort, the glory that we'll have for being faithful and obedient in the midst of persecution and suffering far outweighs the suffering itself. Now, you notice in verse 6, Paul also mentions that his suffering is for their salvation. He's basically saying to the Corinthian church, while some of you are judging me and saying my suffering is because of sin, you need to understand my suffering has been beneficial for you in bringing the gospel message, bringing salvation to you. In other words, if Paul had not been willing to face the danger he faced, if Paul had decided to spend his time in safer places, then much of the Gentile world, including the Corinthians, would not have heard the saving message of the gospel. Christ endured great suffering to bring salvation to the world. And Jesus told his followers 
that they would suffer as he did. So that certainly refers to the fact that there's a price that's paid to bring the message of salvation to the world. Well, why is that important? It's important because, remember, our suffering is not needless. We don't suffer needlessly. God uses our suffering to advance the message of the gospel. You know, you can ask pastors in other parts of the world where there is great persecution related to the gospel message. You can ask pastors who suffer for sharing the gospel, and they will tell you that they find great comfort in their suffering when they see other people receive the gospel message. I think about many of the pastors that we have worked with in India and, and how FAM, the, the partnering organization we work with, will get messages from those pastors. They'll, they'll either call or they'll send an email, brothers, the, the persecution is increasing greatly, and yet those pastors stand strong, they continue to share the gospel message, and they're comforted because they see people receiving the gospel message. Remember, to be comforted means to be strengthened, to be encouraged, to be given unyielding resolve. These men are not just comforted in the sense that in their spirit they're comforted, but they're comforted in the sense that God emboldens them to continue in spite of persecution in sharing the gospel message. You know, even in the U.S., we live in a culture that's becoming more and more hostile to the gospel. We've got powerful leaders, political leaders, that are pitting themselves against God. But if we decide to soften the message and make it more soothing, if we decide that we're not going to preach the offensive message that, that's in God's Word, and, and, and if we say, well, uh, we probably need to be quiet, we don't need to proclaim so boldly, we don't need to stand up so forcefully, if we do those things, the gospel loses its power. But if we decide that we're not going to soften the message, we're not going to make it more soothing, we're not trying to be offensive, but the message is going to be offensive to those who are against God and living in sin. If we decide we're going to proclaim the word boldly and stand up to God's adversaries, then we should anticipate suffering. We cannot cower. We have to continue to proclaim the truth of the message. Look in verse 7. Paul says there's a partnership that comes in suffering. Well, first of all, our partnership, of course, is with Christ. We're identified with him in his sufferings, and that's as it should be for the believer. Paul, in 2 Timothy 3.12, told Timothy, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted or will suffer. And he also told Timothy in, in that same letter in the second chapter, third verse, he said, you join me in his suffering like a good soldier of Jesus. We shouldn't shy away, we shouldn't cower back, but we should be willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. But we also remember, part of the comfort is that we also remember that just as we share with Christ in his sufferings, we'll also share or be identified with him in glory. In 1 Peter 4.13, Peter wrote these words, Rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, that you will be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. That time is coming. Again, these are momentary light afflictions with the perspective of eternity and what will happen in eternity. Paul also here in verse 7, though, is talking about not only our partnership with Christ, but our partnership with other believers. Paul and the Corinthians who suffered could draw strength from each other as they experienced suffering. And, and we've talked before about the importance of, for those of us here in the Western world that really are not persecuted or suffering much at this point, we talk about the importance of standing with our brothers and sisters who suffer. And I'm going to remind you again, it'd be a really good thing to do if you'll just go out on the internet and Google Voice of the Martyrs. 
Voice of the Martyrs is an organization that keeps before us our brothers and sisters in other lands where persecution is great. It keeps their stories, their names before us, their needs before us. And as believers, we need to stand with fellow believers who are suffering. We need to pray for them. We need to be intercessors for them. We need to send notes of encouragement. And there are lots of ways that you can support them, and you can learn much of that through Voice of the Martyrs. So let me just encourage you uh, to consider that. Well, you remember last month in the book of Romans, Paul's instruction in Romans chapter 12 and verse 15, he said, talking to the church, we should rejoice with those who rejoice and weep or mourn with those who mourn. And so the reminder here in verses 4 through 7 is that we're comforted by God. And the purpose of that is that we might be a comforter to others. You know, we say it around here a lot, enough that uh, if you've been around Gower Springs very long, you can probably complete the sentence. But we often say, when we look at the ways that God has blessed us as a church and individually, we often say, we are blessed to be a blessing. That's what Paul is saying here. The blessing of God's comfort has come to the believer in order to be a blessing to other people. Well, in verses 8 through 10, Paul then reflects on the power and the promise of comfort. And listen, Paul is not basing his words here just on good theology and doctrine. He's basing it on his personal experience. He talks here in these verses, 8 through 10, of a personal uh, life-threatening situation he experienced. We don't know what that was. Paul doesn't refer to it specifically. We know that Paul, through his time as a minister of the gospel, was stoned. He was beaten. He was put in stocks. He was in prison. He was deprived of food. Um, the Corinthians knew because Paul's addressing this to them about how intense his suffering was. They knew that Paul suffered, had been in difficulty, but they didn't have any idea of the extent or the, the intensity or severity. Well, how bad was it? He says in verse 8, we were utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. So evidently, it was, a, it was an affliction of suffering that was physically overpowering. In fact, Paul wasn't sure he would survive. Now, that's got to be a pretty serious thing, because you can imagine Paul... It, it, because of the rigorous life that Paul lived, all this travel, Paul had to be a pretty strong person, but yet he says, I wasn't sure I could even survive it. But you see there, it was also very mentally and emotionally overwhelming. When you study the life of Paul, it's amazing what he could suffer, and yet he had the mental fortitude to will himself to go on. I, I thought this morning, as I was reading back to the passage again about over in the book of Acts, where he was in Lystra, and some of the Jews in Antioch and Iconium that were against him came to Lystra, and they stirred up the crowd against him, and they stoned Paul to the point that they were sure he was dead, and then they dragged him out of the city and left him, and it says that Paul got up and went back into the city. So this guy was pretty strong, not only physically, but pretty strong mentally and emotionally, but, but in this case, here in Corinthians, he's saying he was done. Physically and mentally, there, there just seemed to be no way out. In fact, uh, the Greek word for despaired, you see the word despaired in that verse? The Greek word uh, literally means no passage. Paul said there was no passage, no way out of this. And in verse 9, he says, look, it appeared that I'm not going to survive. In fact, th there's a death sentence over me. Now, I don't know about you, but I see Paul describing all that, and I think, well, hang on a second. Paul was one of God's choicest servants. Look at all the things 
that he was accomplishing for the kingdom. Why would God put him through something like that? This is very important. Look at verse 9. Why did God do it? Verse 9. To make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You know, there are a lot of good reasons why God allows suffering in our lives as believers, but, but don't miss this one. It's to make us rely not on our own strength, not on our own wisdom, not on our own plan of escape. It's to make us rely on God, listen, to rely on God who raises the dead. There it is. That's the consummate power that we talked about last week. It's resurrection power. If God is able to raise the dead, then God can get us through anything that we're going to face. But what Paul is describing here does beg another question. Paul said, listen, I was at the point of death. Why would God wait until the point of death, until the very end, to rescue us? Well, if you know anything about drowning, you know that if a lifeguard or or any person that has good, strong swimming skills were to jump in a pool or in the ocean, swim to someone who was drowning, they would not try to rescue that drowning victim until they had gone down for the last time. Why? They have to come to an end of themselves before you're able to help. God often waits until we're at the end of ourselves. We realize we can't rely on ourselves anymore. There's nothing more that we can do to teach us to rely on him and his power. God has the power to deliver from from deadly peril. Look what Paul says in verse 10. He has delivered. That's been Paul's experience. He will deliver. That's Paul's hope and God's faith. We have set our hope on him that he will deliver us again. That's the promise. And again, it's based on Paul's experience. Paul knows this is not an empty promise. Whatever we face, God will deliver. Now, in verse 11, this is Paul's final word on this commentary on comfort. And you see in verse 11, he says that intercessory prayer is vital. It's critical to seeing God's power and purpose expressed. It's critical that we pray for that. We don't pray to change the heart or change the mind of God. We don't pray to change what God is going to do. We pray to bring ourselves in line with his sovereign will. Prayer is about changing our hearts. And we pray so that glory is brought to God and to the action. And look what Paul says. What does the prayer result in? The giving of thanks that will overflow through many. And that honors and that glorifies God. Just a great, great word of encouragement and challenge about the affliction and and the suffering we face. So let's talk very quickly this morning. What are our takeaways? We know that as believers, we're, we're going to suffer. That's part of God's plan for us. But what's the purpose? How is God going to use our suffering? Let me give you five quick takeaways this morning. First of all, God uses our suffering to test our faith. Is it a lasting faith? Scripture is clear that saving faith is indestructible. Saving faith will persevere to the end. Is God testing us because he doesn't know? No, God's testing us to prove it to us, whether or not our faith is a a saving faith and and a lasting faith. Another reason God allows tests to come in our lives is to remove the world from us. What does that mean? Well, to remove worldly ways, to make us not rely on worldly wisdom, on human strength, on our own understanding. God wants all those things taken out of our lives. He wants us, as Paul said, to rely on him who was able to raise the dead and have complete confidence in in him and no one and nothing but him. 
Thirdly, God will cause us to be tested or allow testing in our life to teach us obedience. Sometimes that testing comes because we have not obeyed him. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 6, Paul said he chastens or he disciplines those he loves, those he accepts as sons. God is always trying to bring us into holiness and into righteousness, and sometimes that requires some suffering or difficulty in our lives that have to be accomplished. A fourth reason God will allow suffering is to strengthen us, to make us more useful. He can give us bigger tasks, again, when our faith has been proved, not to him, but to us, when we see God is indeed going to come through. God has the power to come through. When God entrusts me with a task that seems beyond me, I'm willing to step out in faith because he's proven to me and he has strengthened me. And then finally, God comforts us and reminds us of his love so that we can comfort others. You know, God wants us to focus on more than just what we see in this world. He wants us to focus on eternity. When we're going through affliction, going through suffering, we want to see the bigger purpose of what God is trying to do in us and through us. And I'll tell you, if you want to avoid disappointment in this life, disappointment comes when things don't go your way financially or, or relationally. Disappointment comes when you suffer, when you go through affliction, when you feel like you're being persecuted. If you don't want to be disappointed in this life, you've got to focus on what's to come. And that's what Paul is saying here when we think about the comfort of God. God comforts us, but we need to remember that comfort comes from a God that we can rely on, a God that has a perfect plan and a sovereign purpose. And if we're in tune and in line with him, then he will bring the comfort we need. One of our beloved former pastors, Bruce Chester, used to always say, everyone is in one of three places. They're either in a storm, or they've just come through a storm, or they're about to go in a storm. You know, as we think about the storms in life, and we think about how God uses that, this passage that Paul has shared in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 is a great encouragement and a great challenge for us to recognize how God uses affliction and suffering that is going to come, is unavoidable, how God uses that in our lives as believers, not only in our lives, but in the lives of others as they see that our God is a God of comfort, a God who is merciful. And I hope that the challenge uh, of this passage today will help you as you walk through whatever you're going through or whatever you're going to be going through, as you walk through that, to rely on God because he is all that you and I need with what we face. Would you pray with me? Let me ask you, as we do each week, just to take a few moments and reflect on what the Lord may have spoken to you. We covered a lot in that passage this morning, but there may have been just a, a point or two that, that spoke to your heart. If you're a child of God, the Spirit of God who dwells in you takes the truth of the Word and speaks it to you at your point of need. What, what has he said? And how is he calling you to respond? Maybe you're in a storm right now and it's just a word of encouragement to keep your focus on the Lord. Maybe you've been through some storms in the past and wondered, well, what has God up to? And this morning you've been reminded of how God uses the afflictions and the difficulties in our life. 
maybe you don't even realize that you're about to head into a storm. And the word spoken today, the, the passage today, be one you need to look back to in the next few days or weeks. And I just remind you this morning that God is a God of comfort. And that he comforts you, he strengthens you, he encourages you, he builds you up. He gives you a more firm resolve as a believer when you go through suffering. And then he uses you to comfort others and to advance the gospel, the kingdom of God. Father, thank you for the way that you work and the way that you move. God, thank you for your word and the great comfort and encouragement we can draw and the great challenge that can be brought before us as we think about how you're working in our lives, even through the difficulty. Father, help us who know you to allow you to work in us and through us to go your way, to go with your plan, to rely on you, not our own human wisdom and understanding and resources, but to rely on you so that you can use us and so that we can share not only in the suffering of Christ, not only in the comfort of Christ, but in the glory of Christ as we enter eternity. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.